Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Honey Gum Podcast. And this is a fun episode I had just had, and I think very timely, with deer season underway in most states and wrapping up in others or not even beginning in states like arizona well no it's happening there too uh rifle seasons anyway the archery season is coming up and i've been chatting with ryan from hunt az quite a bit just getting ready for my hunt down there so that's been a uh an exciting new new thing to start chatting about that and uh start to prepare so before we get to the episode, you guys know we've got our bow giveaway still rolling, and we'll uh, um, get that done here in the next couple of weeks. So if you're listening to this way past December 2021, sorry, you missed out, but I want to thank uh, John, Landon, Leslie, Kyle, Jason, Jake, Stephen, Britton, Brian, Jeff, Ryan, Matt, Grant, Ricky. All of of you folks that have entered so far for the giveaway, if you didn't hear your name and you have, then give me a message because I'm pretty sure everyone, I got got that covered. And I'll go through and I'll double, triple check my list to see all that, that, where that money came in for the bow giveaway fundraiser. We are very close to paint off that bow actually we've pretty much broken even on that one so it it would be great if we could now just get a a few hundred more to cover the cost of the podcast so uh here's my um pbs telethon saying that we are so close just a few more and we'll be right there to pay for the bow as well as yearly expenses. So keep them coming and phones are ready. Not really. Just Venmo's ready, PayPal's ready. 
So Clint at, sorry, Clint.a.whitley at gmail.com for PayPal. Venmo is at Clint Whitley. And I'll put that in the show notes down below. And if you this is your first time listening, we're doing a giveaway fundraiser for Hoyt Axius, 28 to 30 inch draw, 60 to 70 pounds, right hand Kuyu camo. And that's going to pay for the podcast just to help run yearly expenses. Must be 18, must be in the lower 48, and drawing will be second week in December. Just in time for you to get that in uh, for Christmas. So that's uh, coming up, actually. It's Thanksgiving week here. This episode's even getting out just a few hours late because I've been in the field hunting literally every single day. Been a little tricky to get caught up on anything, so... Oh, man, it it needs to slow down eventually, but it's been so wonderful just hunting nonstop. So this episode I have with Harvesting Nature. Justin Townsend is the guest. He and his crew do a lot of the the fun food stuff and help with looking for get people connected with with what to do with their meat. We all have or many of us have deer down, deer in the freezer, that sort of thing. Now that's now we've got some some fun things to try, new recipes to try. And so give these people a look and they've got some virtual cooking classes, cookbook, uh, definitely a few things that I thought were really neat and I want to try as well as uh, follow these guys and see kind of what they all are going to be putting out. So thanks for listening and here's our episode with Justin. All right, Justin, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, you are from Harvesting Nature, and we uh, connected through the Waypoint TV uh, app and, and the kind of the resources that come with that, and so got to uh, get connected in that way, but we have been chatting for about eight minutes, don't know much about you, don't know uh, what you guys got <laughs> going on, you don't know much about me, uh, but... I would really like to dive into Harvesting Nature and your podcast and some of the virtual cooking classes and cookbooks. So if you haven't figured this out already, this is about food, food as well as other hunting, fishing content. So Justin, thanks for joining us. Uh, why don't you give us a little intro of who you are and what's your background? Just you personally first, not not Harvesting Nature. What about you? Sure. Well, first off, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, a little bit of background on me. So um, I'm Justin Townsend. I'm, I'm the editor-in-chief at Harvesting Nature. I uh, was born and raised in southeastern Oklahoma and uh, caught, caught the bug to go travel and head off uh, at 18 years old and took off to college down in New Orleans uh, where I studied at the University of New Orleans and uh, began my culinary career there. So did a lot of cooking and some really great kitchens uh in my five years down there and uh that's kind of carried with me as i continue to travel around the u.s and um let's see uh currently i'm I'm living in denver colorado right now we just moved up here this summer uh before that we were down in in the florida keys for five years which was pretty pretty phenomenal experience to live down there on an island at the very tip of the tip of the world so uh that was fun and uh so outside of the culinary aspect of, of things for me, I mean, 
uh, I started riding in college a lot and really decided to intersect the two back in about 2011. And that was kind of the, the foundation of Harvested Nature and really created that platform, which, you know, I can get into a little bit more in, into the whys, but uh, just sort of always had a passion for hunting and fishing and now this newfound interest in foraging, which I'm trying to wrap my head around what I can eat, what I can't eat, what's going to kill me, what's going to make me hallucinate, trying to figure that out. But the hunting and fishing side, I think I at least know what, what I can eat and not eat now. But, um, right. Yep. Just cook your meat or cook your bear meat <laughs> and, uh, sear each side of your deer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, not as, not as, uh, scary is is some of the mushrooms or things that i've been learning about here lately so that's that's the good part oh yeah i i that's something i know nothing about so uh and that actually came up in conversation i don't want to dive too far into the forging yet but uh that's something that come up came up in conversation the other day of yeah i'd i'd love to walk around with someone have someone show me i'm not a big Mm -hmm. fungus guy but uh i don't mind them in my food I think they're great. I think they definitely add a lot of flavor. And if there's something that, uh, that's out there that tastes really good, sure. As, but there's a lot of, a lot of research that would need to happen, and to make sure I'm not getting high in the woods and getting lost or dying. <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah, that's that's a new thing for me that I haven't haven't touched on. But I uh, wanted to jump back to your Louisiana roots there, and yeah. uh, no, I. That's a. It seems like that's a very common place where people touch, get connected with the culinary piece. Uh, I've got I've got a friend that's from southern Southern Louisiana, and she's one heck of a cook, <laughs> one heck of a cook. But uh, she harasses me because I I uh, salt and peppers about all the seasoning I can handle. She jokes because <laughs> I can. I'm a true South Dakotan. We don't we don't seasoning is salt and pepper, and there's not typically a whole lot more. Uh, maybe. Maybe some garlic, but you know, mild, mild seasonings, mild seasonings, not things that are going to, I like to taste my food. I I can't, I can't handle hot food. So I am, I know probably a minority of the, of the few, but I can't handle hot food. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's something to, something to work towards. Like I, I grew up very much the same way, you know, it was salt, pepper, garlic, garlic powder or garlic salt for, you know, just about everything. And then. Once, once I went away and started really diving into cooking, it kind of opened my eyes. But it was. It was a lot of, like, people were like, oh, no, that's not hot. Just go ahead and try it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This, like, <laughs> makes my eyeballs sweat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm getting after my wife here and there. It's like, did you buy the the regular the, yeah, the, the regular Rotel, the can of Rotel? I need, I need the mild Rotel. Please get the mild Rotel. <laughs> I can't handle the regular Rotel rotel so uh but anyway so jump back to harvesting nature talk to us mm-hmm. about what you guys an organization where it started what what uh um what are you guys all about sure so we like i said kind of that intersection point for me for like riding food hunting fishing that all happened uh in about 2011 and i got this great idea along with uh my wife and a couple other friends we were sitting around the kitchen table and i was like you know what i'm, I'm gonna start one of these uh you know a, a food blog where i'm gonna write about uh you know what whatever i'm gonna write about hunting and cooking and try to write recipes with wild food and you know at that time you, you had 
you had people in the space doing it, but not a lot of people were, were like really successful. Like you think about Hank Shaw, this was the beginnings of seeing like, you know, Steve Vanilla and, uh, a lot of the hunting was still very much focused on like, Hey, let's just go out and shoot this and not as much food focused as we see today, which, you know, whatever makes people happy, but I always lean towards the food side. And I think that's, has uh, shown its way through with Harvesting Nature. So from 2011 to now, we're 10 years deep. Uh, we've created this, this really this online platform that's more from being like a blog to being very much a full-on media outlet. You know, we, uh, we, we run a staff of anywhere between 20 to 30 uh, field staff writers, and they contribute uh, – written articles about their hunting and fishing adventures and the news stuff that's going on in the outdoor world near them. Uh, recipes where we publish as many recipes as we do, uh, probably any other type of article. And I think it will always be that way. Cause we, like I told you earlier, we always try to come back around to the food because when you look at harvest in nature, it's very, very, very much food focused and that, you know, I, I, I like to keep it that way for sure. Yeah. So you've got, Tell me all the pieces, all the pieces of harvesting nature. Sure. So we've got um, we've got a, a, the written side, which is all online. Um, so all our articles and recipes are free. You just go to harvestingnature.com and you can see them there. We put them out, you know, every couple of days, every day. It just really depends. Um, we've got now uh, the podcast. So we have two podcasts running. Um, we have the Wild Fishing Game podcast, which is once again a very food-focused uh, podcast. We get into a lot of the technique of cooking wild fishing game because, you know, for those that have cooked it, you know, it, it sometimes has its own nuances. And we like to talk through our successes and failures in the kitchen. And then we'll also bring in experts or, you know, people that really stand out or, you know, coming up uh, next week, we'll be releasing an episode with a knife maker talking about why it's important to have chef knives and, you know, sharp knives and good quality knives. And we go through those. So really we start tying in all the different aspects of, of both like the professional kitchen, the home kitchen, everything comes together to sort of be digestible by, by everyone. And I think that's what we've always catered to as well as like to try to hit someone who has a lot of experience and keep their interests and inspire them and all these other things but also be able to speak to someone who's like, I want to learn how to deer hunt this year. And what do I do next type deal? Like, I, I think it's, there's so many people out there interested in it. We want to try to chat with everyone. Um, outside of that, we have, uh, we have our YouTube channel, which we've been developing. You can go there. You can listen to the podcast. You can, uh, see our short films there we've got a short film series adventure for food which we've been slowly populating and that really kind of it's anywhere between like a five to 20 minute video of us like getting out and going on an adventure and then we're closing it out with cooking some sort of recipe uh either in the field or at the return of the trip um those those have been fun to make um Let's see. We just started up in, I think it was about three months ago. We started our first virtual cooking classes. So they're all, they're wild game focused. Uh, they're taught by some of our field staff writers. I teach uh, a class a month and, um, 
you can really use we suggest wild game but we also give you a good like hey here's if you want to use beef or you want to use pork or you want to use chicken like we kind of try to substitute domestic stuff in there too if people want but that's it's a really fun class we have live ones where you can you pay and you literally sign up and it's me and you and you know five other people cooking on zoom and uh i'll send you the ingredients list beforehand and we just walk through everything and uh it's about an hour long super fun that's Some really people unique. like to cook along that's yeah that's really unique i don't know if anyone else is doing that Maybe they I, are. Yeah, I, I don't know. Of, That's I've cool. Heard, I've heard of people, but I, I haven't been to one personally. And you know, the craziest thing about it is we've got people, like I said, that cook along with us. And we've got people that uh, just want to enjoy a, a drink and just kind of chat and see how it's done. And then the great thing is we save all these videos and we have them available on demand. So mm-hmm. we just had the other day, a lady reached out and she's like, I, I want to do a birthday party for my husband and him and some of his friends want to do wild game class and i was like well we've got the on-demand videos you know and they run about an hour each and she's like well do i get the ingredients list and i was like yeah we went through all the stuff so they ended up uh throwing a party with him and his friends and they cooked through two of our courses that's pretty like on demand yeah it was pretty it was pretty neat to hear that that uh people were were into it like that so yeah, I, I've said a couple times recently that I really don't like to make my – I don't like to cook every night, like cook supper. Mm-hmm. Thanks to my wife, she she covers that usually. But <laughs> I do like to make the extravagant, put a lot of work into it, have a good meal, and be proud of it kind of meal. That's, oh, that's yeah. what I enjoy the most because, yeah, I can throw – I don't know, tonight we just had an – we're in the land of casseroles and hot dishes, so tonight we had yeah. a enchilada casserole. It was delicious. It had chicken in it. Um, I, could, I would definitely – my wife actually doesn't eat a whole lot of wild game, uh, if any. It's just total mental thing. She said she's ruined, and she's fine with it. Just feed it to our boys, she said. Feed it to them and, <laughs> and uh, uh, get them to like it. So, And also she's preg- yeah. pregnant, so it, she's got this weird thing with meat being pregnant right now so it's not it ain't happening but in that casserole uh yeah i could go and throw in some turkey or something and be like yeah i could cook it like that but it's that would be that would be good but man i really love to mess around with something on my smoker over the weekend or or uh uh, for thanksgiving next week i gotta figure this out maybe you could help me here in a bit but i gotta do i gotta do an elk wellington i've got an elk tenderloin uh and I haven't really done any research yet. You ever done one of those? Um, I I have not with the elk. Uh, funny enough, I've done dove, I've done dove Wellingtons, um, <laughs> the teeny little guys, and, uh, teeny little guys. Like <laughs> you'll you'll never make another jalapeno popper again once you make that recipe. But um, uh, I've done beef. I've done beef Wellingtons as well. So yeah, sim- similar process. Like we we could definitely chat. Yeah. I could tell you what i know yeah go for it tell me tell me like give me a couple little tips um so you definitely want to first off you're going to have your you know your tenderloin that you're going to be using make sure it's you you thaw it out you give it time to come to like room temperature and then make sure it's really dry before you season it 
then you're going to do your sear. And then uh, while it's kind of getting its sear and stuff, you do your, your like mushroom. I don't know. Do you guys like, you said you like mushrooms. I don't know if the rest of your family does. Yeah, but uh, yeah, some people do. choose to put mushrooms in the Wellington. Some people don't. Um, I've used like mustard, um, like a kind of a spicy deli mustard. There's various things you can use to kind of, once it's seared, you coat that and then you uh, use your dough. Are you planning to make your own dough or are you going to do like a, a off-the-shelf dough? Uh, I, I've put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I, I personally, I'll tell you, I tell this to anybody, like I'm not a baker, so I'm, I'm not great with doughs. Like I, I can do it if I have to. And I like, I played around with making different doughs and stuff like that. But when it comes to some things like that, like do a little bit of research, see what people recommend for a dough. And I would just, I would buy it. Yeah. I mean, there's All no, right. There's no shame in that. Like the dough is great. Oh, look, it's crispy. It's brown. It's delicious. Like, but man, that elk tenderloin is what you want to shine through. Okay. So, uh, another thing you're talking about is some of the, the new hunters and I, I deal with new hunters every single day and people and have that conversation. Uh, and it's almost like this new hunter goes out and they almost don't even have enough food or enough meat in that one little white tail doe that they shot because they're looking for they're literally looking for meat is every one Mm -hmm. of them every single one of them have have been uh a locavore or a foodie that is i'm Mm -hmm. interested in this so it's funny to see uh what that new face of the the hunting world is and that it's almost like there's not enough so um one direction I wanted to take this was maybe a little bit of that that meat prep. I always kind of write, make a couple of notes in the front of my, I don't have a cookbook, but I have a binder of just like, these are my things that I really like. I, I okay. copy them out of a, instead of having a big cookbook, I've got those, uh, but I copy a page like, this is good. And then I've got the random things like my grandma's cucumbers in a thing and then other other stuff all that's in there so all my like really good these are my things forget my cook my cookbooks here you go kid when i'm really old or when i'm dead somebody take this and don't get rid of that that binder so those that's what i've been kind of keeping keeping my stuff in and in the front i always throw in like a don't forget to get these pieces next year like some of those meat prep cuts, some of those things that sure. are, what are some of those that, uh, and, and I literally helped somebody butcher a deer today and I'm getting better and better. It's like, this is a sirloin. This is a tri-tip. This is this and that. What are some of those, those cuts that you should leave whole or make sure you grab, uh, when you're processing a deer, let's talk deer. Cause it's November, November's deer season. Uh, what uh what what things off of a deer should you make sure you grab leave intact so you can do some some fun things with them later uh i'm i i'll tell you first and foremost um the offals so heart liver i don't know kidneys is a stretch for some folks but i think the heart like that to me is the number one thing and i've got so many not so many i've got friends that'll be like all right, cool. I'm going to get this deer and then we'll core it up. Then we'll pack it out. And I'm like, Hey, uh, what about the heart? And they're like, Oh, 
no, nah, I don't want the extra weight in my pack. I'm like, I'll carry it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me yeah. have it. Yeah. Um, so heart and liver for sure. Um, shanks. It, I'm a huge fan of shanks. Okay. I'm, I um, really would like to, yeah, let's go through these and I want to come circle back to a couple. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, heart, liver, some shanks. Uh, I would say necros too. Like, it, sometimes people destined them for the grind pile, but I'm a big fan. Like that's, that's some fun meat to, to slow cook. Uh, cause it gets like really stringy. You think like, um, like shredded beef or, um, you know, in Cuba, they have a dish. It's called ropa vieja. It's like sh- basically like stringy beef. Okay. Um, that man, that makes great. Um, I really like to mix it up when I do my cut. So when you start thinking, uh, people with the, will take a front shoulder too, and they'll just cut all the meat off and that'll go to a grind. But like you could get your, uh, your shoulder, your bone in shoulder roast, and then you could get a shank off of that front shoulder. And like, those are two, two good meats that you can play around with to do slow cooker stuff with. And you know, whether you're going to smoke it or you're going to, um, you know, put it in the crock pot or the Dutch oven, like that front shoulder roast is awesome. Cause then once you get it to where you can just pop that bone out, like you just got all that, the delicious meat in there to sort of shred and the juice and oh man. Okay. I'm glad I ate before this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, and then for, for the, the back legs for me is I, I really kind of leave it up. I always like to get a good mix of grind and a good mix of steaks. And then usually I'll pull um, one of the cuts off for like a uh, a roast or something, and then I'll just kind of then I'll divide the other side up in those steaks and grinds. But um, I don't know. I I, I kind of get different times, different flavors each time I'm going. I guess if that makes sense, mm-hmm. as I go through and cut. Um, but I think the shanks for sure bones. I also say the bones too, cause I like to make stock. And I think that that's probably like, that is to the T like using the entire animal is if you're taking, you know, your, your bones and you're throwing them in and you're making stock out of it. Cause then you're using everything. Hmm. Okay. So let's circle back. I got some questions on a f- couple of these. So right. heart's easy. I mean, that's, that's uh-huh. that out of all the unique cuts, those that's easy and, and not that uncommon. I mean, we've got legally in most states, it's like take your hindquarters, take your front quarters, your tenderloins, and your back straps, mm-hmm. uh, typically, and heart not required. But so that's our general, that's what you got to take. The heart ends up having a little different texture. I remember from physiology class in college where we're looking at the, the tissues under, I forgot what the study of tissues is histology maybe. Um, but anyway, look, looking at, uh, looking at some of the, the muscle structure of, of cardiac muscle versus skeletal muscle. So it's kind of interesting to see that. And then that correlates then to the kind of that different texture. So it's got a texture thing that maybe that's where people struggle with it. But typically for me, a heart is like a, a little buttery chislic thing to a steak deal. What's uh what's your favorite go-to for heart? 
So my, my favorite go-to for heart is I've got a really good uh, venison heart hash. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of hashes just because I really like potatoes, mm-hmm. <laughs> one. Um, but with that one, it's like you're, you're cubing the heart up pretty small. And so you're not getting – I mean it's more akin – to like a steak texture is, is you would think of it than like a smooth muscle, like a heart. So, uh, because you're getting those small bites, it's combined with potatoes and peppers and other things like that. And it's, it's really, really good. But I think the biggest takeaway from that is, is one, how you're kind of prepping the heart. And I always think of it. And I think Danielle Pruitt said this best once to me. And I, it just stuck with me. It's like, you, you look at the heart, like a bell pepper, right? So what, what part of the bell pepper do you normally use? Use like the outside? Yeah. yeah. So when you're prepping the heart, you take the top of it off because that's where all your, you know, your cartilage and you get all your arteries and everything coming in and out. Just take that part off just like you would the top of the bell pepper. And then you look down inside of it and just kind of clean it out just like you would a bell pepper. And then you just lay it flat open and you can cut it into strips and then cut it into little cubes. That's a good way to look at it. I always have cut off those papilla and the little tendon thingies. All uh-huh. those. My anatomy is uh, that's going on like 12, 13 years ago <laughs> of uh, <laughs> college anatomy. But uh, yeah, the, all those little pieces that you can just tell are tough. Like, yeah, those pieces are tough. But that makes sense. That's a good that's, analogy. Yeah, that's a, it's a good way to, easy way that I've always found to think about it. And then, I think the other big thing with that recipe, what I always like to do is I, I parboil the potatoes. Do I parboil? Uh, I either parboil them or I let them soak overnight in cold water in the fridge. And uh, both of those processes pull some of that starch out of the potato, and then it lets it get super crispy when you when you like fry it later. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Just soaking in the fridge? Yeah. Yeah, you can just throw, throw them in a bowl after you cube them up. Cube the potatoes up, throw them in the bowl, fill it up with cold water so they're all covered, and then put it in the refrigerator overnight. And then when you're ready to cook breakfast in the morning, because that's what when I like to eat heart hash is, you know, first thing in the morning, really hearty breakfast with the uh, over easy egg. Oh man, oh that'll work. Yep. All right. So next on the list is liver. I've encouraged a couple of people to try it. I'm not a I, I don't like beef liver. It's not my thing. Um, it, that one is a is definitely a texture thing. I will have everything else, mm, not kidneys, uh, but the, the anatomy and physiology screwed me on that one too. <laughs> Knowing that that one's filtering <laughs> urine, uh, yeah, keeps me from touching that one. But uh, the liver, I've never had any liver that I've really enjoyed. So. That one's a tough one for me, and I think a lot of people, but I bet a lot of that is preparation and and cooking it. So give us something to make it make it make it uh, not palatable because I don't want to make it say it it's not palatable, but <laughs> but get all of the good stuff out of it. The way to treat it right. How do we treat it right? Sure. So um, I would say that when you think about livers think about it from the field first like older animals uh and diets are going to play into the into the flavor of the liver 
So the older the animal is, the longer that liver's been working, the longer it's been tapped. We'll say, uh, I won't say toxins, but <laughs> outside substances that it's been catching in the liver, right? Yeah, that's, so, that's the job of that organ. <laughs> yep, yep. So the longer it's been doing that, right? So if you've got a little button buck or you've got, you know, a four or five-year-old deer, like you're going to notice flavor differences just based on age. The second factor when you think about it is when you start to look at uh, diet, right? So I've had antelope liver. I've had mule deer liver. I've had whitetail liver. I've had beef, you know, domestic liver, chicken livers, all those things like that. Duck, fall gras, goose livers, whatever. Um, the diet that they eat starts to play a lot. So, uh, I, I experimented a lot last year and I have one this year to experiment with as well is, uh, is antelope liver. And I I didn't have a good run with antelope liver last year. So, uh, well, one of them, I didn't. And then the other one, the other one I ended up using is a test and I wrote an article it's on harvesting nature and it's like, uh, has to deal with soaking liver in different solutions. So soaking it in milk, soaking it in salt water. I think the other one was like a combination of uh, water and lemon juice. And I, I really looked at all the kind of uh, theories people have as, as to why you should soak liver. And then uh, at the end of it, I did a taste test with my nine-year-old daughter. And, um, you know, I... I think we went back on the one that was soaked in. I think milk was probably the the lesser flavors because the antelope flavor just from the very beginning was very, very sage flavored, like very, 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 Hmm. Um, which I love antelope meats. One of my favorite meats. So uh, I'm not trying to knock it. It's just like that the liver is pulling everything that's going into the body uh, via the blood. So um, I think after that, I talked a bit with uh, Hank Shaw about it, and he he actually soaks his liver like three or four times in different, sometimes different solutions. And I think that's really interesting because then you start to look at like, then you're really, you know, leaching out everything out of that liver, and then you end up with just sort of just a basic liver that's kind of uh, very flexible in what you do with it. But my favorite thing to do is uh, in Louisiana, there's a sausage called boudin. Boudin, uh, it's a Cajun version of a French sausage. Basically, uh, it uses rice and liver and pork. Um, I basically, for the boudin recipe that I have, I think it's due to come out in Meat Eater on the Meat Eater website here in the beginning of the year. Um, but they're boudin balls. So instead of casing it like a sausage, you just mix everything together. Uh, the rice, the I used uh, venison, and I used uh, venison liver. And you mix it all together after it's kind of all cooked. And uh, you basically make like a little rice ball, and then you roll it in an egg wash, uh, which is just like a whisk-up egg. Um, and then you roll it in breadcrumbs and you fry it. And oh my gosh. It's mm. like the size of a meatball, but it's it's phenomenal. And you cannot taste – you don't get the liver because it's the huge liver flavor because it's mixed in with all the other – ingredients and the Cajun seasonings and uh, thyme and oregano and garlic and it's just a really good treat. Does does it keep? Does the liver keep it all or does that a eat fresh? No, you, you can freeze it. Uh, I freeze my livers so I'm ready to use them. Um, I do I do like to soak them 
uh, in water um, after I harvest them for like overnight. And then I may, if I can't get another soak on them and drain the water and soak again. So two to three times of just kind of soaking in water and then I pat dry and then the back seal. And yeah, it, it keeps in the fridge. Okay. And then I guess a, a question I'm sure someone would have is if you can't really taste it, why keep it? But isn't, isn't liver like one of those, like the most nutritious thing. And that's what coyotes go for first. That's what, yep. I mean, that's supposed yep. to be pretty high on that nutrient list. Yeah. Liver, uh, liver is probably one of the most nutrient dense organs, uh, in the body, uh, or in an animal's body. Hmm. Um, I, so I always like it. I mean, uh, I know you're getting, tons of vitamins that you don't normally get in other cuts of meat. So like vitamin B, A, um, iron, copper, all those things are, are present there in liver, which is really, really good. All right. So what I'm going to do is hopefully going to shoot a deer tomorrow or the next day. If not, there'll be some more that hit the ground. I got five more deer tags to fill. So <laughs> there's man, I just shoot deer in South Dakota. There's so many opportunities. Uh, but don't come here cause they're, they're all small and don't taste good. But the, uh, next thing. So I will keep a liver and, okay. uh, I'm going to try it and I'll wait for that, that recipe to come out or I'll check out your guys' stuff too. And, uh, okay. I'll, I'll read that article on soaking it and I'll give it a, give it a shot. I'm, I, I haven't, I don't want to knock it till I tried it kind of thing. So I'm going to give that a, yeah, give I, it a go. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I'm not a liver fan. Um, at least a deer or antelope liver or beef liver fan. Um, but that, that boudin ball recipe, you, you'll love it. Yeah. I love it. My, my, my daughter, my kid eats it. My, uh, coon ass friend talks about boudin balls all the time. She oh, makes yeah. them. Yeah. Loves them. Loves them. Or she likes to make them. I've, I may have even had them at her place once. I'm not sure. So, uh, next on the list, the shanks. That's That's been growing in popularity and actually kind of my lazy way of processing. Just cut the shanks off and then they can be used later. Nice and easy without yeah. having to cut that off. What's your what's your deal with shanks? Um, I mean, I really like the shanks because they just got so much good meat there. And you, you see a lot of people use them for asabuco. Um, I think they're great smoked um stewed braised like they have so many different things you can do with them probably one of the ones that i like the most is i've got a it's like citrus smoked shanks or venison shanks and uh I, I put them on the smoker like three to four hours basically until you can like pull the meat apart and the great thing you have to be careful when you when you're smoking wild game like it does take a bit of touch and you said you like to do meats on the smoker, so you may or may not have seen this, but you got to kind of, one, you have to hit a point to where some of those tendons start to, to loosen up. Um, and then also you got to treat it with some kind of moisture or additional fat, because a lot of times you can, if you cook it too long in order to get it tender, you end up getting it dry. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of like, there's, there's a fine line that you got to navigate with that. Okay. 
but uh, I generally, sorry. No, I was just saying one thing I I find being tricky is cutting. If you end up cutting the shanks to to make asabuco or something like that, it mm-hmm. that's tricky because you got a soft tissue and then you got a hard tissue, the bone, and yep. the old meat saws that you buy. It's hard. It's hard to hold on a little piece there and cut it. And unless you had a, I mean, I got a bandsaw in the garage, but I was like, do I really want to use that on my food? I don't know. Uh, what's, you, you, what's your you trick? Get, you get people using like, uh, you get people using those bandsaws, like food grade blades and things like that for it. Um, I, I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily have to cut it. Oh, Okay. Like, I mean, it's at the end of the day, too, like, it's still a beef shank you're throwing in there. You just got to let it cook down. Mm-hmm. So I made one uh, at work the other day. We were just trying something out, had a little news story thing I had to do for it. And so I I cooked it up in a, in a cast iron uh, Dutch oven over the uh, – mm-hmm. and had – had it on the fire with some with some coals and everything and it turned out really well turned out good and i did that was one i did spend the time and i just cut it i hacked at it and and slowly did it and cut it cut the cut the muscle and the tendons everything with my knife and then went in and just cut it it's just a it's a physically demanding thing it feels like to it's one of those meals you appreciate it at the end if you put the work into it too mm -hmm. but I mean, you can still braise the shanks. You know, venison shanks, if you, you think about, like, Asabuco is developed really for beef, and so you end up with a beef shank huge, right? Yeah. But a venison shank is much smaller, more manageable. Like, I forget how many quarts my Dutch oven is. I don't have a big one. But I can I can fit the shanks in there bone on, still, you know, fully in there and, you know, partially submerge them to braise them. So I think really when you when you look at it, you can do it that way because you're not using these big giant beef shanks. Like if you're trying to do it with an elk shank, you might need to upgrade your, your Dutch oven or just oh, go sure. for it and do the, do the bone saw. But yeah. Okay. So moving on to uh neck roast, the, uh, yep. I had a big old rutten buck I shot the other day and his neck. Oh my gosh. Right next to his, uh, trachea size of, bigger than like a half dollar in diameter just those meat going right down each side it's like this is huge this is a big oh, rotten yeah. buck neck and normally it's like oh i get a half pound off this side or a pound off this side off of a deer and no this was this was significant uh and i just kind of fillet it off of the off the bone there and a mm-hmm. lot of people get a little little iffy on cooking the whole thing just cwd stuff if you're cooking with the with the vert or the spinal column in there and everything that, yep. that there's a little nervousness around that uh so what's your what's your mes- method for the meat prep on that one um so i i definitely i i'm a big fan of getting my meat tested i'll i'll say that first and foremost like i'll sit on meat till i get the test results back i actually have a meal deer that parts of the mule deer that my buddy shot, uh, two weekends ago, um, here in Colorado that I'm just like waiting for him to get the test results back for it. So we can do that. So, um, if I'm traveling state to state, 
I will, and I'm processing it myself, I will take the meat off the bone for sure. Um, no matter if I think it's got CWD or not, just because it's a lot of states are coming up with regulations and there's a reason they're doing that. So it's kind of my, my part to make sure that I'm putting in the helping hand for it. But, uh, outside of that, like, I'm like you, like I just kind of work my knife to where I try to get as big a piece of the meat off the, the, the spinal column, the neck there as I can, and just kind of keep it intact. Um, or if I pull it off in chunks, I kind of keep it all together because I know it's all going to be the same textured meat. Um, another thing it's fun to do is those those windpipes, the tracheas. You can take those and throw them in the dehydrator. They make great dog toys. Oh, man. I need to do yeah. that. Oh, that's another thing, too. So uh, our community manager, Colin... He takes all his livers because he's not a liver fan and he cuts them into shreds and he dries them as dog treats in a dehydrator for his dog. Oh my gosh. That's, I like that. That's mind blowing. That's why I'm just kind of freaking out a bit. I like that. I like that. (laughs) I like that. Two two tips for man's best friend. (laughs) Yeah. Liver for dog treats. I like that a lot. Uh, (laughs) Just as a, you think you heard it all. Right. <laughs> no, I like that a lot. I'll, I'll uh, hopefully a deer hits the ground tomorrow. And uh, uh, my dad's going to look at me a little weird when I say, hey, I need that windpipe. <laughs> uh, and, your, dog, uh, your dog will love it, though. I, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose, oh, yeah, dehydrated. I mean, there's nothing on there I got to really worry about. And then the liver, too, yep. the liver they're getting all the the pieces to it that uh so that'd be good for them i like that i'm gonna do that that one i'm doing for sure the liver may sit in the freezer for a little bit until i man up someday to do it but the uh yeah liver and trachea i'll do that for sure okay so uh yeah with the the neck roast still you got hunks of that meat call it neck Uh roast or is that what you're doing with it is full-on like making a roast yeah so like i was uh i mentioned earlier is like probably one of my favorite things to do so as i mentioned i spent a lot of time in key west so i have i have a love for cuban food i always have but they like solidified it the i haven't written out the recipe yet but it's coming down the way it's it's called ropa vieja it's uh i think it literally means like old rope is the literal translation for it but it's used they typically use flank steak for it um which is which is a pretty tough cut of meat on a you know on a on a cow or a steer i guess it would be but um you braise it for like three hours uh in a dutch oven or whatever kind of pot you have with liquid in there peppers olives and you know i use game stock and you just let it cook inside there and then at the end you just take a fork and you can just pull it apart and it just comes in this like beautiful long string think about the whole length of the neck just like one single like string cheese Hmm. cool and you eat it on top of rice and oh my gosh it'll change your life huh i'll look forward to that one I'll look for yeah. that for sure. Okay. Uh, bone in shoulder roast. That's another one of those kind of 
I'm getting really tired of processing and I got a quarter here. So, and, and, or like we shoot a young doe, really young doe, and there's not a whole lot on there anyway. So you've got like a meal out of the shoulder, the front shoulder. Uh, what's your, what's your go-to there for bone and shoulders? Some tips with that one. Sure. So bone, bone and shoulders. I took a front, uh, whole quarter. So off a wild pig, you can use the same thing for, for venison. And I think the really like the walk away with this is it's the inspiration piece. Uh, I took from it. So you have all different types of barbecue across the country, right? People have different techniques, St. Louis, Texas, uh, Carolina, all these different things. I was watching, um, show on Netflix chef's table and they were in, in outside of Austin in the Texas Hill country. And they had this pit master, this older lady, she must've been in her seventies or eighties. And she does open coal Texas style barbecue. And they only use salt and pepper as their seasoning base. So you'll like that. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and, but the thing that sets them apart is they use a mop sauce. And okay. so when you start to think, well, one, what's a mop sauce? Uh, a mop sauce is like, it's exactly as it sounds. It's like sauce. You're going to just keep like pouring on the meat as it's cooking. And that's going to help add moisture to it and keep it from drying out. And as I mentioned earlier, that's really important when you start talking about smoking wild game, right? Yeah. So the other thing is, is I chose in this particular recipe, I added lard into my mop sauce because I knew I was going to get some extra moisture from the fat. Um, and it was going to add into that. So, uh, the mop sauce itself, I like it because as I'm smoking the, the quarter, I literally just leave the Dutch oven with the mop sauce in it inside the smoker, like next to the quarter. So as time goes by, it's continuing to pick up the smoke flavors too. But in that mop sauce, I'll use the lard or you can use rendered like bear fat or any kind of rendered fat that you have. Duck fat would work, whatever. Um, okay. apple cider vinegar, you're going to use stock. I put beer in there, jalapeno, bell pepper, onion, Worcestershire sauce, um, brown sugar. And you're, you're going to cook, uh, the meat like 200 degrees in the smoker. And then, um, take, put your, your, uh, Dutch oven in there and mix everything together. And, uh, once everything's all cooked and combined for your mop sauce, throw your quarter on the smoker. And then, uh, for every, you're going to let it cook for five hours. Every hour you're going to go on there. You're going to add the mop sauce. You're going to flip it, mop it again. And then, um, after that five hours, you'll take and put the leg on some sheets of tin foil. And then, um, you'll put one last, douse of mop sauce on there and you're gonna wrap the leg in foil okay and then you're just gonna you're gonna let it cook until it's uh oh gosh why not put the temp on there you're gonna let it cook till it's about 160 no sorry no so space on this one um, I would say you're going to shoot for like 190. Oh, see. wow. 
Because remember, you're looking to get that. You're looking to get it to the point where the meat starts to the tendons break loose. Sure. Okay. So those tendons won't start to melt until about 160. So you want to try to get it up to like 195, 200 internally. Huh. That's really good to know. And I think I can carry that info into quite a few other things. Yeah. No, I I really guess I didn't even know that. Huh. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll carry that over into, I'll give that a shot and then I'll carry that over into cooking shanks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So hind quarter, we don't need to break down th- that down. There's, there's too many cuts in a hind quarter, but I do want to ask <laughs> just with those cuts, what cuts are your favorite steaks? What's are your, which ones are your favorite jerky stews and which ones throw to grind? Um, it's a good question. So uh, I've been going with sirloin lately has been one of my, one of my, like, I just had a sirloin steak off of an antelope, just cooking it mm-hmm. into a little one and a quarter inch medallions there and our steaks. It was pretty good. I really like that. You eat around that little tendon that's running through there. And it actually seems like it's a different kind of tendon. It's not, it's not even that big of a deal. It, it seems kind of like almost like I, I think I ate some of it the other day. It was not, not even a big deal either. But <laughs> maybe I should. I don't know. Uh, but so sirloin, that's a steak, steak thing. But I go back and forth reading some things. I, I have that that meat eater chart. That's the best breakdown I've seen of the different cuts that they have on their website. I think it's like 30 bucks, a little big chart you can hang on the wall. Yeah, like the poster. Yeah, yeah. I I really like that. And it kind of shows some of those cuts, and it seems like the meat that's along the bone, the closest to the bone, seems to be the tougher, and the stuff that's further away is a little more tender. That's I tried to make that generalization. I could be wrong uh-huh. on, a, on a few, but... That was my my kind of thought. So the bottom round that's right there as you're looking at it, laying on the or the outside round, I guess you call it. The uh, that one to me, even though it's big and grainy, that one is my jerky, and I don't even ton of stews, but that's always my go to go to jerky. So yeah, what is there any as you're thinking there? What uh, what's your go to steaks or jerkies or grain? So you have like for for jerky or for grind, um, man. I, like I said earlier, I really like it. Just kind of it kind of depends. I kind of try to keep the bottom round for roasts if I'm going to cut one out. Okay. I've also used the the top round or like the top sirloin, which is a football shaped one. Mm-hmm. I also have used that actually roasted to to uh, pork sirloin roast last night um in the oven and i'll I'll slice those then and and enjoy those um i like to keep the you what is it that people call it tri-tip a lot so that's your like your tenderloin triangle i keep that one too and usually just keep those separate and cook those those together as a pair and then 
Um, your your eye around, I'll cut that into stakes too. Like in the stakes, almost kind of the same size as your backstrap stakes. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, I, I mean, I honestly like, I like to have more stakes and more hole cuts because I also think about it this way is that if I've got a hole cut, so say I keep together the, you know, the bottom rounds and the top rounds and all those other things. And it's like, if I want to take and make stakes later, like if I eat up all my backstrap, I eat up all the other steak cuts I have, and I'm like, oh, all I got left is, you know, this uh, top sirloin. Well, I could cut that into steaks too. Yeah, really don't limit to. yourself. Yeah, but once you cut it, you can't put it back together. Right, right. So that's, that's the other thing. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, is ribs. I've been really working on my ribs. And I okay. really, it's been a fun thing. And I tell people all the time as you're cutting ribs off, you know, not a lot of meat. But it's one of those little appetizers, kind of a fun thing to to make. Uh, yeah. That that just tastes good, and it's a little, it's a finger food, fun fun little thing to try and try and master. So, what's your, you got any tips for for that? Because the way I cook them is, I submerge them completely in a in a stock for eight hours, take them out, put them on the grill with a dry rub, and then uh, put a little barbecue sauce. By the way, uh, we'll shout out to South Dakota's barbecue sauce, Old West barbecue sauce. If you haven't tried that stuff, it's Ooh, a. I'll give it a try. It's it's good. It's a sweet barbecue sauce. Um, it's my absolute favorite, made in Millet, South Dakota, somewhere little little town, but just a really really good little barbecue sauce. So I'll uh, I'll do that, but I really really got to watch that fat on there. When it liquefies, and I can't tell if I screwed it up till that thing's in my mouth and the fat solidifies on top of my roof. So how do how do I how do I manage the fat on there? Besides, I mean, uh, I cut as much off as possible, but the more you cut, the, l- the less ribs you got. So I really like uh, I got it out of the one of the media cookbooks. I forget which one, but I I do mine. I'll season them and I'll do them in a crock pot. Um, you know, I'll cut them into like, first I'll, I'll tell you when I take, uh, ribs off the deer, I, I stopped using a saw. Um, and I use like, I don't know if you'd watched, uh, like the latest season of meat eater or I think it was even the last one, but Jesse Griffiths is on there. So he's a chef from down in Texas. Oh, didn't he Does use a lot of whoppers? Pups. He uses, no, he uses a cleaver and a rubber mallet. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember seeing that. The, yeah, the technique's called batoning. And you literally just, you put the cleaver where you want the cut to be, and you take the rubber mallet and you tap the back of it, and it literally just will will punch through. Um, why I like to do that is Jesse brought this to my attention, and then I started paying attention to it, and I really noticed it. You get a lot of bone fragments when you use the bone saw. Yeah, yeah. When you use the, the batoning method, you don't get any bone fragments, really. Okay. So you, you don't get the bone dust or anything like that. So I'll break I'll break the entire rib cage off one side of it and then I'll take through and I'll I'll cut it in half and then I'll take my knife and I'll cut them usually into like four or five rib pieces. Season it however I want, put a little bit of liquid in the bottom of the crock pot, be it like beer or you know, stock or tomato sauce mixed with water, like what whatever you have on hand, barbecue sauce mixed with water. 
and I'll put that in there for like four or five hours on, uh, usually I'll do low and that kind of helps tender it up and then adds, keeps the moisture in there. And then what I'll do is I'll finish the ribs on the grill. And why I finish them on the grill, one, it's, it's how the recipe was written when I first read it. But two, as I started thinking about it a lot more, it cooks that fat off. So okay. then you don't get that like waxy, fatty kind of feel in your mouth as you're eating it. Okay. Because it's, you're going to grill it. You're going to grill it off. It doesn't take long, just enough to get them crisp. You can then put barbecue sauce on them or crisp them up, whatever, whatever way you like to eat your ribs. But, um, that was maybe my, my thing. I, I wasn't, most of the time I get it. Other times I'm not, but I'm not sure what I'm doing that remove that, that remove yeah. that issue. So maybe that must maybe, be that grill. Yeah. Try okay. the grill. Maybe I'm not grilling long enough. Uh, so cool. I'll, I'll, I'll try that. And then last couple of things you mentioned bones making stock. I mean, that's pretty straightforward for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. and cutting that up, making some stock and, uh, I do want to ask you this question. So I've been, I've been, trying to figure this one out i don't know how what you know all about rendering bear fat but shot a little bear this year in colorado and uh i kept the whole back ham of the okay. hind leg because it was probably a, only 180 pound bear or so and so i kept that whole thing that's just sitting there because i'm i don't want to screw it up because whole hind quarter i got one that's it everything else went to something else so what should i do with that whole back ham I've got visions of injecting it with a brine and brining it for a week or whatever, and then smoking it, doing all kinds of things. I don't, I don't know. Help me not screw it up. I I would go with like a bare ham, like cure, do like a a brine slash cure on it. Okay. Uh, using like the that pink curing salt, or uh, you get like insta cure some of those, and like they literally have a, it's if you follow the directions and this is where you start getting really scientific and cooking when you start doing using curing salts and things like that, all you're going to do is follow the directions, weigh the meat. It tells you how many ounces of, you know, curing agent you're supposed to be using per pound of meat. And it'll tell you the time that you're supposed to do it. And you literally just, you, you let it cure and then you pull it out and you smoke it like you would, uh, like you would a, a pork ham. Okay. Not the I wasn't even thinking that route, but that because I didn't even know. That's why it's just been sitting in there <laughs> since September. Yeah, I mean, I'm I would not do sure. that. Then you could you could take it, you could slice it, and put it away for like sandwiches, or you know, make make a breakfast hash with it. Like, then once you get it done, you got that whole ham to sort of play around with. Oh, that's that's a really good point because that's I I had that whole thing and I was like, oh no. I'm not going to eat this whole thing. Even me and a buddy can't eat this whole thing. So yeah, a way to you know, save it. it. Yeah. Freeze bits of it. Use it here and there. Okay. That's cool. what our, uh, our, our podcast manager, Corey, he, uh, he likes to hunt geese, Canadian geese, and he'll take and he'll make pastrami mm-hmm. and he makes like three or four variations. But what he'll do is he'll wait till he's got, you know, maybe a dozen, goose breast and then he'll just do it all in like a two-day cycle and then slice them for sandwiches and he just puts them in the freezer in like you know one pound bags or whatever then whenever he's ready to take some out thaws it out makes sandwiches for the family does all that but yeah it's such a such a great technique huh yeah the uh game changer in my kitchen is buying a slicer that 
that was oh yeah yeah i had some bighorn sheep that i was cooking up and bighorn is just like it's not my favorite and i did some made some sliced meat and that was actually a pretty pretty big favorite in the office office when i brought that that it actually was pretty good so i'll uh i'm excited about that now i'll try that and then the second thing on the bear is i took a lot of fat and Uh all the fat all the fat i could and i rendered that down so it i watched a lot of stuff on it and i don't know if i i rendered it long enough uh i got a really white it almost seemed like it liquefied and then once it cooled it just turned back to a really hard fat and i've got it all i've got them in jars in my freezer just so i don't screw it up because i but i did pull one and i've been i actually i pulled a couple i've used a couple in the kitchen and i'll just cook my eggs in and i'll cook whatever and it's great it's just a little hard like i'm it's uh-huh. hard to scrape out of there and put in my pan it's even, not not even it even at room temp um, so I had some at room temp. It wasn't hard then. I had some at room temp. I, I had it in my, along in a, like my bin that I have for on a hunting trip that's got all my food in it. So I was thinking I'm going to make some chislick for a, cause that's the South Dakota thing you do. So I was going to make some chislick out of something fresh. If we, we got something and there was a nice, nice time to do it. So I was going to cook some little hunks of meat and some oil. And I thought bear, bear fat be the thing to do it and i opened it up and it kind of stunk kind of stunk like it went bad so i don't know if i did that long enough and now i'm afraid to keep it out of the fridge in fear of that it's going to go bad and that was just in a short short amount of time like a week is there is there anything to how long you render that down i i I let it go for quite a while till till there was cracklings and everything in there i ground Uh it so I could get the highest yield possible. I'm not sure if I, I did it right or maybe everything's just great. Everything's just fine. And I was, maybe it didn't go bad. It just felt. So, sm- I mean, yeah, I mean, keep, keeping it in your freezer is definitely a good way to keep it from like going bad. Um, I know you would be able to tell after a few months if, if you didn't render it all the way through, even being in the freezer, because bear fat will go kind of, it go kind of bad solo after about six months or so mm-hmm. but um when you render bare fat like you want to keep it super low and then um you you want to try to try to basically just liquefy it as much as you can and then you want to scrape out uh, not scrape out, but kind of like scoop out any meat chunks you have in there. You want those out. Um, okay. And that's, yeah, I cheesecloth, I ran through some cheesecloth and, and it all, and I really low and I kept, and I could tell the, the small little batches that got a little, a little warmer because they were the ones that were a touch brown going in versus ones, or maybe those got a little longer. So they were, the liquid is a, touch more brown than some other other was pure white pure or super clear when i was pouring it before it solidified and then it all of it solidified and solidified in the fridge at a pure white so i think i'm good i think i'm good i just yeah i think i think you're good okay and i mean 
Verifat too, like once it's rendered, you know, a lot of your rendered oils and stuff, you, you can keep those at room temp. Um, okay. You know, for, for a good while. Um, I think definitely like keeping your whole stash in the freezer is a good move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just kind of slowly using it. Maybe next time use smaller jars so you can use more all at once and not have to take them out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll keep playing around with that. I'll pull some out and and uh it just didn't look like at room temperature. It just looked like not like nice smooth. I did it a few a couple of years ago with a with a sure. with a bear and it seemed like it was really smooth. Really smooth and this stuff seemed like it was still chunky. Yeah, a little little chalky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it could be the bear. It could be a difference in shooting bears different times of year, different diets. Um, hmm. But yeah, we have a we have a good video on on our website. Uh, Ryan and Emily did our, our film managers on uh, how to render bear fat. Okay, might be worth to yes. worth a watch too. Yeah, because that was actually uh, just doing quick Google searches. I didn't really find anything I liked too much. That gave me the details looking for. So, yeah, I'll check. I'll check that out. So, um, we're going on an hour, so I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You got your family there, so um, let's uh, let's talk about real quick your cookbook. You got cookbook, and then also where people can find these virtual cooking classes and and these these great resources. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the cookbook. So I, I put it out in. Uh, in 2017 and it's uh it's called eat wild game i believe in very straightforward titles so uh you can find it it's on amazon um we sell it on our website uh we both we have both hardcover and paperback um available we essentially just send them out as soon as the order comes in so uh, then occasionally we'll offer i'll offer signed copies and things like that we're actually going to be doing um I don't know when this podcast is going to release, but for Cyber Monday, we're going to be doing a special. If you spend $50 in our store, so we've got like hats, t-shirts, stickers, coffee mugs, tons of stuff like that. If you spend 50 bucks, we'll send you an e-cookbook version. So it'll be uh, an electronic version of the cookbook. No, so. it'll be out by then for sure. Perfect. I had a yeah. big old so, stockpile of episodes and then they ran out. So, they, uh, yeah, I had a big stockpile and they're gone. Worked really hard and then I slowed down. Worked real hard, slowed down. So, yeah, this is going out next week right before that. So that timing's really good. Oh, yeah, perfect. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll have the book, the e-cook book uh, will be available for free if you spend 50 bucks on Cyber Monday. And then otherwise, we've got the two books uh, available. We're doing some other specials throughout the cyber or whatever Black Friday holidays. So it's like a buy one get one half off, some hat discounts, stuff like that. But um, those are always available. Those are full of a lot of great recipes. It's mainly uh, venison, wild boar. There's some rabbit. There's some bear in there. You can generally take all those recipes and kind of intertwine them with other types of wild game and end up with some good stuff. And then um, the virtual cooking classes and everything. So what we try to do is, is I like to reduce the amount of clicks people have to go through. So you can literally find everything we do, cooking classes, podcasts, merchandise, recipes, 
articles, videos, um, cooking classes. I think I already said that. <laughs> I'll say it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You can literally find all that at harvestingnature.com. And there's a menu. If you're looking on your cell phone, the menu is up on the right top right-hand corner. If you're on your computer, you'll see it. It's right in the center. And um, you can literally get access to everything. We are, we've taken a break from our, our live cooking classes through the holidays. We'll be starting back up in January. and We're going to be doing a like a semester-style format. So in January, we'll release – uh, the titles and dates for all our classes for basically like a three month period. We try to do one a week. And then we also have those, uh, on demand classes I mentioned earlier. Let's just see. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a quick, quick rundown of some that are on here. So there's maple whiskey, duck liver pate, uh, smoky roasted game stock, venison ricotta meatballs, Mongolian goose, Japanese grilled venison hearts, uh, ground venison lasagna roll-ups, uh, Moroccan butter poached lake fish, venison and mushroom gallettes. Yeah, that's how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> venison steak, uh, au poivre. Gosh, we're getting really French with those. Uh, flaming <laughs> hot buffalo scotch eggs, which is really good. And then uh, venison steak marsala. So all those classes are available on demand. So you can go and you can purchase it. And then anytime you want to watch it, you just go back to it and hit play. And once you purchase it, once you have the ability to access it, definitely. Well, very cool. I think that's a, a cool business model that you guys are, are following and, and something that fits the times very well. So I, I Thank hope, you. I hope things are going well for you guys and, and you're finding some success with that. Cause uh, there's people out looking for this exact thing and I'll definitely be, be sharing and, and indulging in some content myself. So I look forward to, to that for sure so i want to get you yeah i want to get you off to off to your family and and i gotta get up to mine as well give my kid a hug and kiss before bed so um appreciate your time very much justin and and uh we'll uh we'll be talking soon absolutely thanks for having me on once again yeah you bet well have a good night you too This is God's country.